0: Hi, I'm your host, Tom DeSavia. Join me as I interview guests from music and entertainment from around the world about what they're up to right now. Stay tuned, because we're Gone in 30 Minutes. Hey everybody, welcome to the latest episode of Gone in 30 Minutes, and I'm so excited to have as my guest today, Rhett Miller, one of my favorite songwriters in the world, one of my dearest pals, and my longest- professional relationship. How do you like that? There's got to
1: be. Wasn't Linda Ronstadt before me?
0: Yeah, no, but oh, no, no. And there's there's, there's plenty before you, but you were the (laughs) longest professional relationship. And and just in tribute, uh, at one point in the 90s, when we all wore big shirts like Chandler on Friends, you bought me like an XXXL Dallas Stars shirt when you were trying to get me into sports one of those times. And this is, I think, the first time I've worn it. So I'm very happy to wear this today. Just, Do you want it back?
1: I'm guaranteeing right now that
0: Electra Records bought that. There's no <laughs> way I bought that. <laughs> this was a gift. If you got Electra Records to buy me a shirt, well, you got them to buy you everything else. So this makes yeah. sense. Let's get on with the show. Rhett, what are you doing right now?
1: Uh, well, I'm here in my office, which is my... My workplace nowadays, I used to drive around from town to town, uh, but now I do four shows a week in this chair in this room, usually with this dog behind me Ziggy sleeping there and um, it's it's really weird um, but there's a lot of good things about it and I'm trying to focus on those um, but boy, do I miss human beings that aren't my two teenage children I, I love them don't get me wrong but i don't miss I don't miss them. At all, <laughs> but you missed them when you were on the road. I know that for a fact. I used to miss them all the time. So that's a giant. That's that to me is the, the
0: biggest silver lining of all of this. And the best song title I've heard come out of your mouth in like ten years. I used to miss them all the time. Come on. <laughs> anyway, um, I write that down. Um, write it down. Um, well, and, and just for our audience, you're in upstate New York. So you're uh, 3 hours ahead of me. So- yeah,
1: well, it's not when I for, when I first moved here 17 years ago, I would tell people it was upstate New York, but I got in trouble from people in Albany, Rochester, Syracuse. I'm in the Hudson Valley, so it's like 90 minutes north of Manhattan. It's not like a bedroom community of New York City, but or a suburb of New York City, but it's kind of suburb adjacent. So I'm not really upstate. But not to split hairs with you, Tom.
0: Actually. We only got 30 minutes, Rhett. Rhett, is only... talking, is talking <laughs> from upstate New York, our guest. <laughs> it's New York and it's upstate. We're just gonna stick with that. No, but I, I wanna say and there's so many things I want to cover. And we only have a half hour and a lot about uh just making a record in the in the in the looming uh coronavirus time that we're in but specifically immediately when we finish this record i just want to jump to this because tonight uh or by the time our viewers have seen this i should say you will have taped your 100th episode of your podcast that you started on march
1: live live stream concert
0: live stream concert not podcast but you have a separate podcast the live stream concerts that you started on what date March eighteenth was my very first ever live stream concert.
1: Say hello to my sixteen-year-old son, Max Miller. Hi. What's Max? Hi. What's
0: up, Tom? How you doing, buddy? What's up? What's up, Tom? my work. He's out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when he did it, you, you okay? it. <laughs> But you entered it. I, we we'd finished we'd finished working on the last old ninety sevens record in Nashville. We all flew home on March eleventh, I believe, and immediately went into lockdown. Yeah. And you immediately went online to do these these concerts.
1: Yeah. The timeline for me was fly home March twelfth, oh. New New York State shuts down March thirteen. I spend two and a half days researching platforms, which you know, I mean, I, I now know how to do a lot of things on the computer. At the time, I knew how to do very few things on the computer. So it needed to be easy. And um, March 16th, I booked my first show. March 18th, I did my first show online. And we're taping this now almost exactly six months later. And I have done 100. No, actually, now, one now. tonight will be 103 shows. And then I'm going to take a week off and start
0: season two shortly thereafter what so the motivation just because this is i think just talking to writers about what they're going through right now the motivation was a combination of wanting to play music because you knew you weren't going to tour for a while and some panic of this is what i do for a living and so what were you like headed into that and what is it like now when you do these shows because you've got as i've sort of said you have your own largo audience uh, that's international. That, that tunes in four times a week. But where was your head at when you started? And
1: well, I remember. Um, I remember thinking a lot when I was uh, in high school and uh, caught up in like the, all the intellectual questions and the existential questions. I remember thinking a lot about the idea of form without function and form versus function. And um, my function is to make music i I do shows, I write songs uh and and you know i can I can parse that into different functions. writing songs is one thing um and it's kind of it tends to be a really solitary thing. sometimes you co-write but typically it's a solitary thing perform performing is a is kind of a social thing, even though I'm facing one direction everybody else is facing the other direction um it still happens in a group um. But that's my primary function. and so if if all I'm able to do is the solitary part of that, um, which right you know w- when you're about to put out a record and we had just we were just finishing the old ninety sevens record, you have four months until you the record comes out like normally that's a time when I am not writing songs at all. like I'm I'm good. nobody needs songs from me for a while. So that's normally a time when I am making hay while the sun shines, I'm doing gigs, solo gigs till the record comes out. Record comes out, I'm doing band gigs. That is my function. So that function was taken away from me and all my brethren in rock. Um like we're, you know, the thing we do, they put out te- the state of Texas um you wouldn't think they would be doing things like this but they put out a list of the most dangerous things you can do to spread the virus um and you know like the least dangerous thing you could do is sit in your office or sit in your office and pet your dog the most dangerous thing you can do is be in a group of people singing like the most dangerous thing you can do is the thing that i do so i suddenly became form without function and so i started trying to think of okay how can I do the thing that I do? And I mean, a big part of that was how can I replace the lost income? Because as I mentioned, I've got these two teenagers and all they do is eat. And now one of them has to buy gas every two days because he's driving all day, every day. So it's, it's intense, you know, like uh, when, when we first met and I was 25 years old, nobody, nobody depended on me. Like they would have been foolish to depend on me. Now, Multiple people and a dog depend on me, so I had to come up with not only a way to make money and feed them, but also a way to keep sane. And these shows, as weird as they are, and as not uh, a straight um, amalgam for rock and roll concerts, as you know, they're it's not the equivalent, but it is a replacement, and it's kept me sane, ish. Sane ish.
0: Going to back what you're saying, so how is because it's funny, we were talking about this the other day. Everyone saw someone ask me about your process or about a specific song. And I'll look at them, I'm like, you know, I, I don't really know. We, As as long as we were, the 25 years we've literally worked together, unless I was physically there when you were starting to write the song or you'd written it in my presence, I d- never really knew what the song was about. If I thought I knew what it was about, I'd usually say, oh, that was obviously about this breakup. And then you'd be like, oh, no, that song was actually eight years old. So I just given up trying to trying to figure <laughs> out. And I don't really want to know, but I don't really know, aside, even from this album that we worked, we just did an album together in a in our band capacity for the first time in, in, in many, many, many years. And these songs kept showing up in a wonderful way, but I don't know where they came from. I don't know which ones had been sitting there. I don't know which ones were new. I don't know which ones were partial songs that existed six years ago. So now that you're in your home, for six months, you're playing a different role of rock star online. Are you still writing? Well, that's, that, okay. So you
1: know how I was saying that there's two facets to what I do and one is the performative and the other is the strictly creative. The creative part has been really, really hard for me during the pandemic. Um, there's I keep coming back to and referencing this New Yorker cartoon that depicts a guy in a rowboat with like shark fins and a ship sinking behind him. Or, well, not a rowboat, but a, what do they call it? Re- like a rescue boat, safety boat with life, a life raft. He's in a life raft. Shark fins, boat sinking behind him, lightning striking, just all hell breaking loose in the middle of the ocean. And he's saying, oh, this is the perfect time to finish my novel. Like, that's how I feel. Like, how am I supposed to be creative in the midst of a global pandemic and a personal massive crisis of um, identity, you know? So I had not written a song until last week. The, I took the family to Delaware because they came off the quarantine list, thank God. And we went to the beach. And um, I woke up early, as I've been doing every morning. I've I've been doing morning pages. I started doing The Artist's Way, which is this book. Brian Koppelman, the writer, recommended it to me. But um, it's this really great book about sort of getting unblocked as an artist. And a big part of the technique is you wake up and you write three pages, stream of consciousness, your morning pages. It can be about anything, and it's been super helpful to me just in terms of getting things out because that's what art for me has always been, making art. So those days I woke up, wrote my morning pages, and wrote I wrote two songs while I was there. One of them eh, may be pretty good. The other one I think is so beautiful, and it's one of my favorite songs I've written in a long time. So I'm finally feeling like I'm getting unblocked. But, man, it has taken a solid six months to just – because I feel like I can't even catch my breath. I'm so scared about the loss of my job. I'm so scared I won't be able to feed my kids. I'm so scared that the thing that I've done that I always felt like no one could take it away from me has been kind of taken away from me, and I've had to figure out a whole new system. And I think it's going well, but I still don't trust it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it and that's such a common uh, – shared feeling not just by creators of art but i think everybody in their way of like i was just talking to someone earlier i'm a pretty avid reader and i just that's what i do to unwind i've not been able to read since this has started just because my brain is working so fast that i just keep reading the same chapter over and over but but i think it's it's really helpful for people that are guests on here to, to to talk to each other almost about uh being blocked and and the like you said like your footing uh being off because you had a cycle that we never thought would end meaning tour break tour break tour album break mm-hmm. tour album break i should say but when you found you, now that you're writing again which i didn't even know you had been blocked this whole time did it did it come to you in sort of this the way it always does did it feel different did it was the writing process was it just like oh right i remember how to ride a bike and i'm doing it or was it could you was there a different muse looming about
1: well i've always believed in you have to put yourself in a position to create like to be creative so the idea that you wait for the muse to Come find you. I think that's baloney. I think that's a story people tell themselves um, as a way of procrastinating or as a way of um denying their inner artist the right to go out and make the thing they need to make. So those those mornings in Delaware, for instance, um I sat down to write songs. And I had done that during the previous six months. Um, Jenna Fisher, the actress who was on the office and played Pam and she has a, a podcast now about The Office, and she had asked me to write a song, and I, I did. And it was like a joke song. So I had sat down to write that song, and it was fine, but it never, it didn't feel like a real song. Like for me, a real song has to be something that surprises me, kind of comes out of nowhere. I'm its first audience. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what happened with these. I just sat down and I said, I, I would really love to write a song. And I kind of feel like I could. I'm in a good place. Like physically, I was looking out a window it, you know, it's some pretty trees and flowers. And um, it's funny because that was one of my pet peeves is when people start a song with, I woke up this morning and dot, 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 because it's just so lazy. Or I looked out my window and dot, dot, dot. Like these are just... These are hack. These are hackneyed. Of course, the exception sometimes proves the rule because the song that I love so much is brand new. Starts with the line um, "Windows out my window" because it was that. Like I was looking out a window at all these other windows. These houses were kind of all around me in this sort of beach community, and it's just that thing of, you know, what what stories hide behind these windows, and it was. To me, that is the ultimate impetus for songs. I can't even tell you how many songs I've written from Broadway that I wrote while you were waiting in the lobby of the Paramount Hotel in New York City, looking out the window of that hotel room. I've written so many songs, looking out of windows at other windows, imagining the story behind them. It's like it's like people watching if the people are hiding, you know? And so I get to make up what they're doing. And um, yeah, so it it was kind of the way it's always been. But it really, it took me finally getting to a place where I could just catch my freaking breath for five minutes.
0: And did it feel like, did you feel like you were back on the bike? Did it oh, make felt- like... So yeah, it's kind of, because I think it's just, I've, I've talked to so many people that are blocked and in and, and in their own way and the people that are disciplined and blocked or the people that are undisciplined and blocked because ultimately there is no proper way to do anything. It's just however it strikes you, right? And everybody's thing has fallen off. I just want to go back real quick, just a little backstory for our listeners. So this would have been back in, in the year of our Lord, 1996. And Rhett and I were still dating and I'd flown him and his band, the old 97s to New York as we were trying to wine and dine them and and get them to sign to Electra Records. And we had stayed at the Paramount Hotel. Was it the Paramount? It was yeah. the Paramount. Was it was the hipster the- hotel in New York at the time. Yeah. yeah, it was the hotel where all the band stayed. And we got there and we, 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 we all got in at the airport, we went to the hotel and it was like, all right, everyone check in your rooms and let's meet down here in 50 minutes and we're gonna go to a meeting or dinner or whatever we were gonna go do. And Rhett called me in the room and said, as before, like five minutes before we go down, he's like, oh, I just wrote a song. Like just when I got in here and I remember thinking like, the guy's either showboating and now I'm gonna go by and hear this song. And is it like, and I just didn't know you that well. And you played me Broadway exactly as it wound up on the record and that was the moment where that was the moment i fell in love with red yes. that was it that was an amazing moment the other i had to say for inspiration was uh there was a brief period when uh you were staying with me in los angeles uh during the writing of fight songs mm-hmm. and i walked into my house one day and that was when refrigerator magnets were, were really big and uh the the first verse of alone so far was on my fridge, which made no sense to me. So that's why I was, that's why I never want to know where songs come from because the answer might be refrigerator magnets. <laughs> um, I, I want to jump head to, we made this, this record 12th, which just came out and had an amazing first week. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Doing, doing well. Um, but it was a completely different, uh, like, processed the entire way through. And if you could maybe talk about that a little bit and our good pal, Vance Powell, and and just how this record was mixed in, in the time of lockdown.
1: Boy, so, um, well, first of all, um, I was so glad that you uh, agreed to or insinuated yourself into the position of A&R, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is great. And for those, I mean, I'm assuming at this point that maybe anybody watching uh, this or listening to this knows that um, A&R stands for Artist and Repertoire. But really what it is, it's kind of just babysitting. Like you're sort of, you know, you're um, going back and forth between band members and saying, well, you know, so-and-so really likes this song, but I just, he doesn't get this. And maybe you could do this to make him understand. You know, it's like just, oh my God, the diplomacy that you have to do between band members over something so stupid as like, which of the 12 out of these 14 finalists are going to make the cut and and all that but it's necessary because making a record being in a band is all about compromise it's all about collaboration it's all about uh respecting each other to the point where you can agree even though you disagree um and in the end you can feel good about what you've wound up with your final list of songs the final mix on a song so um, you helped so much with that. Vance Powell, our producer on this record, had produced our most recent record before this Graveyard Whistling. And um, to do a second album with a producer is a pretty lucky thing because so much, uh, like my bandmates and I have been in a band together for 27 years, right? So we've learned all there is to know about each other. You know, you have worked with me and those guys uh, in an AR capacity and been our friend for 20 five years. Um, so, you know, we we know, we all know the shorthand. We all know when to back off, when to push, all the different things. So when Vance came in as our producer for the first record, we clicked really quickly, but there's still, there's a learning curve. Um, so for the second record, like suddenly, All of that is done. You get to go in and bam, as soon as you get, as soon as we showed up in Sputnik Studios in uh, the Berry Hill neighborhood of Nashville and we loaded in and it's a little studio. It's Vance's home studio, which he mostly, not home. It's Vance's studio in Nashville in his hometown. Um, But it's not a big room. It has a drum room. It has some small rooms uh, on the side. Um, It's not like CBS A studio or whatever where you're doing this, some giant Room. Um, but it was quick. He knew he knows how to get the sounds he wants. We know how to work with each other. We had done uh, enough pre-production to be off book on most of the songs. Um, I mean, for me, me for sure, just because I work on the songs over and over. So uh so we were able to sit down and right off the bat from day one we were getting keeper takes, which meant all the drums, all the bass, a lot of the guitar, all my rhythm guitar, a lot of my vocals. And we made this record so quickly. And to think back on the era when even the 97s made records for a quarter million dollars. And then I had solo record. I had a, I had a solo record that was $300,000 and another one that was $400,000. Think about that. Three quarters of a million dollars to make two dumb Rhett Miller solo records. That's <laughs> insane. So when people wonder why did the old business model collapse, well, it was the Red Miller solo record budgets. We can all agree on that. So, um, it's true. So, so, you don't need uh, you don't need that much money to make a record. Yeah. In fact, I think that sometimes uh, that much money and that much time and that much pressure can work against you. So, for us to go in, work quickly, um, capture the live takes, not get too hung up on everything being perfect, I think that really worked in our favor. Um, I'm not sure what it was with me. You sort of asked earlier about the songs, how many of them were old versus new. I had a bunch of um, of really great songs that were left over. But after the last Old 97's album, Graveyard Whistling, and after The Messenger, I still had a stack of like 20 songs. But then I went in and wrote the 12 songs that are on this record were probably the newest songs. And for some reason, I was just... I was in a place where I was thinking a lot about the gratitude I feel for our band and the years we've spent together. And if there is a a concept album hiding in 12th, it is that. It is that here we are 27 years into our career feeling closer to each other than we ever have, feeling more successful and not in terms of chart or sales, but in terms of like, oh, my God, we make better music now than we did 27 years ago or at any point during that timeline maybe um it's just such a good feeling and it's so unlikely so if there's a concept album hiding in these songs it's that it's that oh my god we've done this we're doing this better than we ever have 27 years in
0: and i so agree and just to go to what you're saying just for uh listeners that aren't totally familiar with everything about the band this band is the same four members for the last 27 years never a change and i was lucky to get to build independent and individual Friendships with all of you. I like every guy in this band. I would never make another band record ever again as long as I live. And I won't. But this was so different because it was like going home. But I wanted to give extra props as going in there. It was very much a blind date with Vance Powell, who was the producer. And my role, like I said, is different than a Svengali type NR person who's going to come in and help arrange the songs. and just there to buy you lunch. But when I got in there and I waited and I watched Vance, Vance to me, Vance Powell, and look up his stuff, he's an amazing engineer, producer, mixer, uh, is exactly what every band dreams of. He was engaged, he was involved. I loved sitting there watching him. He wasn't just collecting a paycheck, he became the fifth member of the band for those sessions. And it was fantastic. And when we went straight into quarantine, one of the things that really got me through those first couple of months of being hit by a truck was this concept that we were able to mix a record all being in our own homes in different parts of the U.S. while Vance sat there in Nashville, and it was amazing to watch it come together. So, yeah, Love all of you. Alright, we're going to enter what's called the lightning round, Rhett, because we don't want to end this on a heavy note of me saying, oh yeah, your band's great, you're a good songwriter. I have Sammy Davis Jr.'s hat, as you may remember, you may not, but I've got it. And in here are some questions, and we're just going to go. Quick word association, alright? I'm just going to reach in. Uh, I'll what- do my Sammy Davis Jr. impression as I Sorry, I don't actually have one. <laughs> I was going to say, would I? No, it's glass so Wait. Um, okay, we'll do this first. Celebrity crush. Go. Joan Jet. Whoa, good one. Okay, I knew that. Uh, what's the most useless talent you have?
1: I can hang eleven spoons off my face.
0: <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how continue uh, to continue after that. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have you back with 11 Spoons. If you could travel back in time, what period would you go to? Oh, my gosh. Uh,
1: oh, cool. I not- know. Okay. Um. Yeah. I, I Not really, but the Wild West, because I love Elmore Leonard's Western novels.
0: Oh, how literally. Horrible. Oh. To live. If, you, if you could uh, visit one place on Earth, where would you go right now?
1: Greece, because that's where Soleil wants to go, my daughter. And I would take her and everybody in my family to, and you,
0: Tom, to Greece, an <laughs> island. You're just saying that because you're on a podcast with me. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, if oh, here's one that I've never seen before. If you were a pair of shoes, what kind of shoes would you be? Um, Lagavulin. I don't even know what that means. Is that a whiskey? Damn it! It's a whiskey. Some fancy. You'd be. You'd be it's if, been- what kind of shoes would you be? You'd be whiskey. Uh, who is a celebrity you admire, and why? And the why is the important part. You know what? I'm going to say
1: John Doe. He just popped into my head, but he's somebody that was a hero to me when I was 15 years old. But he's wound up he wound up being sort of a mentor over the years. I just like the way he's aged gracefully. He's never sort of stopped being himself. He doesn't apologize for
0: himself. Um, he's just a cool dude. Yeah, agreed. And I totally agree on that one. Um, can you pick up something with your toes? Oh, yeah. I can pick up all sorts of things with your my what? toes. Okay, I'm going to remember that next time I come here. Chicks. To your house. I can
1: pick up chicks with my toes. <laughs>
0: hey, baby. What personality trait has gotten you in the most trouble? Oh, Jesus. Um, my alcoholism. <laughs> <laughs> what... <laughs> what... <laughs> what movie scared you as a kid? Oh. <laughs> uh... Poltergeist. I mean,
1: didn't it scare all of
0: us? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The meat in the face. Do you believe in fate, Rat? You know I do. I do. Do you own a bicycle, Rat? I I own six. I mean, <laughs> I I only ride one of them, but I bought all of them. What did you do with all that extra money from those budgets from those solo records, Rat? Bikes. <laughs> um. Oh, here's one, and I'll. Uh, it says. If your life was a movie, what songs would be on the soundtrack? But why don't we say what two songs would be on the soundtrack of your movie, of your life?
1: Um, God, Weakest Shade of Blue by the Pernice Brothers because it is so cinematic. And then also Bad Reputation. That's the closing credit song. I, I just thinking of Joan Jett maybe because of how much I had a crush on her. But, you know, like there's some like quiet ending where you're just like, Oh my God. I can't believe that was so moving. I don't give a damn about my bad reputation. And then like everybody gets up and they're like, I love that movie. <laughs>
0: I forget. Now. Have you ever met Joan Jet? And did you tell her you, you had a crush on her? Well, yes and no,
1: of course I'm not. I just met her this a year ago. We played a festival together and I, I got to meet her and, but I'm not like, Oh my God, I had such a crush on you, Joan Jet. <laughs> Gross, Tom.
0: <laughs> Thank you for the music. Um, uh, okay, what was what would be the coolest animal to scale up to the size of a horse?
1: <laughs> Ziggy, my poodle.
0: <laughs> poodle. Okay. One. Well, um, oh God, that's sort of like the question I asked you. Hold on. Um, what is the most embarrassing thing you have ever worn?
1: Oh my God! The pictures recently emerged of me wearing ripped up jorts, no shirt, on stage. What those pictures didn't show was that was the first gig of two gigs on July 4th, 1999. The second of those two gigs, I was so wasted. I was wearing an American flag as a cape, no shirt, ripped up jorts, shoeless. And I wound up passing out on stage. And when I came to, there was a girl making out with me. It was it was like a peak. I
0: peaked. <laughs> Which will be the final scene in the movie that will end with Joan Jett. And with that... We are gone in 30 minutes, Rhett. Rhett Wait, I, 19, I said
1: 1999. It said 1989. I will get in trouble with my wife. It's 1989 <laughs> that that happened. Oh, my God. Sorry.
0: Yes. That <laughs> may be Tommy. cut off the broadcast. We'll see if we can leave it on. Rhett, I love you. <laughs> Thanks for sitting with us for a half hour. Really appreciate it. You're you're the best. One of my favorite people on the planet. Thank you, buddy. Love you,
1: Tommy D. Go shave. Yeah. Go cut your hair.
0: Nope. Bye. Bye. This show was presented by Craft Recordings. Thanks for joining us for Gone in 30 Minutes. Produced by Laura Sias. I'm your host, Tom, and we'll catch you next time.